Greg and Laura McKenzie are what I consider real-life Christian heroes. Laura is the daughter of our very own Jackie Roper. Greg and Laura both answered God's call on their life, decided to leave the comfort and the conveniences of life in America, pack up their family, and move to the Middle East as missionaries. And that's what they did. And life was going good for Greg and for Laura. In November of 2004, Greg's mother and Greg's aunt came over to visit to spend the holiday with them. And, and they had Thanksgiving meal at their home. And after they had Thanksgiving meal, they packed up their bags. They put the leftovers in the fridge. And they went across the border to Damascus to spend the weekend. And they spent the weekend there with, um, with his mother, with his aunt, with their two kids. And they had a great time. Sunday morning, November the 28th, they got up to head back to their home country, got up early, packed up the minivan, and started heading home. They got to the border, which they always had to cross. They had to get their passports checked, which they always did. And while they were sitting there at the border crossing, a typical day became that day. They were there at the border crossing when an 18-wheeler started coming down the hill. They didn't know it, but the 18-wheeler had lost its brakes. It couldn't stop. And the 18-wheel truck barreled into two cars behind the McKenzie's and their minivan. The 18-wheel truck then turned over and fell on top of the minivan. Everybody in the minivan immediately lost consciousness. Laura says that she vaguely remembers things for the next week that happened. What she does know is that immediately when the 18-wheel truck hit, their six-year-old and their four-year-old died immediately. And her mother-in-law died immediately. They were in a hospital and in their home country for a week and then they were allowed to be transported back to the United States and they were transported back to Little Rock which is where Greg's family was from when they were meeting with a local pastor who was going to be doing the service for their two kids and for Greg's mom Laura's mother-in-law he asked what do you want me to say and the only verse she could think of was second Corinthians 4 verses 7 through 11. I want you to listen to those verses. It goes like this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who are alive are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Laura says that it was only through the Holy Spirit in her, sustaining her, that she maintained her sanity and her very life. This is what she said to me. When I could be alone where no one would hear me, I just 
kept screaming out to God, Why? Why? What are you doing? Where were you? What purpose do I have to live? Although I don't remember his answers, I remember his constant presence. I felt like no matter what I asked or screamed or thought, he was holding tight onto me. Laura says one of the lies she has had to fight was this lie. As a child of God, that means that, that we are limited, we're immune to certain tragedies of life. Tragedy happens to people who make wrong choices or who live in disobedience, but should never happen to someone who is walking with God, someone who is seeking to do His will. That's one of those lies that the enemy told her. If you were walking with God, if you loved God, if you were in the center of His will, this would have never happened to you. She says she now realizes that pain is a part of loving and living. But even in the midst of pain, there is the promise that God will restore every lost moment, every lost happy experience. She said there is hope and there is promise. I can count on it. Let me encourage you to continue to pray for Greg and Laura because even though it's been 13 years since they lost their only two children in that accident. The reliving of that event is only a memory away. And so let me encourage you to pray for them on a regular basis. So how do we make it through that day? How do we make it through that day when our world falls apart? When we lose a child or our children or we lose a spouse? How do we make it through that day when, when we get that terminal diagnosis that we're going to die? How do we make it through that day when our spouse tells us they don't love us anymore, they don't want to be married to us anymore? How do we make it through that day when we lose our job or, or all of our retirement is gone? How do we make it through that day? Well, last week we discovered that the very first thing we do when we're faced with that day, is we worship. You see, we don't worship because of our circumstances. We worship in spite of our circumstances. When things are going good, we worship. When things are going bad, we worship. Whatever may befall us, we worship. That's how we're going to make it through the difficulties of life. When pain and suffering comes, we worship. That's what Job did. We we're told that he tore his robe in grief. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground and he worshiped. I am convinced that that, that act of worship that he began with was what laid the foundation that allowed him to make it through the weeks and the months that followed. And so if you want to make it through when that day comes, you have to begin with a commitment to worship whatever comes your way. But the second thing I believe that we need if we're going to make it through that day is this. When it comes to that day, we don't want to face it alone. Let me say that again. When that day comes, 
We don't want to face it alone. We want to be surrounded by people who love us, people who care for us. I don't remember anything that anybody said to me on that day. But I do remember who was there. I, I remember finding my son and realizing that, that my parents, my 80-year-old parents, were in Greenville by themselves. And I was wondering, how in the world am I going to get a message to them? I don't want to tell them this over the phone. And I called my friend, Mike Hamlet, who is pastor of First Baptist North Spartanburg, and I, I told Mike what happened, and I said, Mike, will you go to Greenville, to the hotel my parents are staying at, and, and would you tell them that their grandson has died? And as we were talking, Mike got in his car, dropped what he was doing, went there, and he not only told my parents, he put my parents in his car and drove them to my house. And then he sat there with my parents and my family as we were sitting there in grief and in shock. I don't know if Mike said a thing, but I got to tell you, I remember him being there. I remember Steve Allen and I remember Scott Creed being there. I don't remember a thing that they said. I remember the hug. I, I, I remember the look of shock. I, I remember the presence of them being there. I remember Billie Jean Colby coming and, and being there with my wife. And I remember Laurie Williams being there with my wife, seeking to comfort her and help her as she was in hurt and as she was in pain. I remember John G. and Lene Tate pastor friends in Lynchburg, Virginia, who got in their car and drove six hours to be with us, to just simply be there with us. To be honest, I got a lot of phone calls on that day. I still have some of them on, on my voicemail. I didn't listen to hardly any of them. And the reason is I didn't, I didn't want to listen to someone else say, I'm sorry. I didn't want to listen to someone else say God's in control or, or I, I didn't want to listen to someone else say anything else. I didn't need anyone to tell me anything. I just needed people to be there. And so, the thing we need most on that day is for our friends to do three things. Write this down. To show up to shed tears, and to shut up. We need people who will come into our life, show up, shed tears, and shut up. Now, some of you right here, right now, are saying, that's harsh. Why did you say shut up? And I want you to look at me if you're thinking that way. You're the problem. You were so caught up in yourself that you're more concerned about someone saying that we need to shut up than you are helping someone deal with their grief. And that's your problem. You see, when people are experiencing that day, they need people who will simply show up, 
people who will shed tears with us and people who will shut up. Now, if your Bible is open, I want you to look with me at Job chapter 2. Job had lost everything. Job lost his wealth. He lost his possessions. He lost all of his children. And now in chapter 2, he lost his health. He has left his home. He has gone to the local dump. He's picked up a piece of broken pottery and he's scraping his hurting flesh with broken pottery hoping somehow, someway that that would relieve his pain. When three of his friends heard what had happened, they immediately got together and they traveled to where Job was. I want you to listen to what it says beginning in verse 11. When three of Job's friends heard of the tragedy he had suffered they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz the Temite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes. They threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. Now Job's three friends did great initially. They showed up. That's the ministry of presence. There's something about being present. There's something about proximity. There's something about being there. Sitting next to a hurting friend, holding their hand, hugging them close. But Job's friends not only showed up, they shed tears. They were overcome with grief for Job. The Bible tells us to mourn with those who mourn, to weep with those who weep. That's empathy. Now listen, you never tell a person, I know how you feel. I've lost a child. That doesn't mean I know how every other parent who loses a child feels. I'm different. You're different. We're different. You don't know how other people feel. And so don't ever think that you somehow have the ability to get into someone else's life and know how they feel. You don't. But what you can do through the grace of God and through the power of God is you can express empathy. You can enter into their hurt and enter into their pain. You can grieve with them and you can grieve for them. And that's what these three friends did. They showed up, and they just began to grieve. And then they shut up. They didn't say a word. For seven days, they were silent. You see, the problem with most of us is when we open our mouths, we feel like we have to say something comforting we have to say something wise we have to say something profound but why why do we feel that need because the truth of the matter is all too often when we speak we say something stupid 
And so it's much better just to keep her mouth shut and just be there. We say things like, well, God needed them more than you did. What? Are you an idiot? Or that great theological statement, well, God needed another angel. Please don't say that. Or, or God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Quit trying to sound smart. Quit trying to be wise. Just zip it. Don't say anything. Just be there. If you want to be a good friend on that day, just show up, shed tears, and shut up. If you do, let me tell you, your friend will always remember you. And your friend will always appreciate you. Unfortunately, Job's friends didn't stay quiet. In chapter 3, Job began to grieve out loud. And, and next week, we're going to talk about grief. And you need to understand, grief is normal. Grief is something that we, we all face when we go through that day. And Job began to express that grief. And, and Job said, I, I wish I had never been born. He cursed the day that he was born. He said, my life is filled with pain and suffering. And he just let it out. And then in chapter 4, these friends who came to comfort, these friends who came to console, they began to speak. And oh goodness, we so wish that they had never opened up their mouth. Because when we, when we read through this, we see that Job calls his three friends worthless quacks. He says in chapter 16, you are miserable comforters. And they were. They felt like they needed to speak. And all the comfort that they had given for seven days was thrown out the window. Don't feel like in that moment of despair, don't feel like in that day you're called to be some armchair theologian. You're not. Just keep your mouth shut. Wrap your arms around them. And sit with them. And let me tell you, if you can do that and leave it there, you'll be the best friend anybody can ever have. Show up. Shed tears with them. And shut up. But here's the problem. Some of you aren't going to do that. You feel like Somehow, someway, you are the one who is going to share wisdom with the hurting. And so because of you, I want to warn the rest of us. 
Because when that person who feels the need to speak speaks into our lives, I want to warn you, okay? And I want to warn you to be careful of three types of people who are going to try to speak into your life. First of all, be careful taking advice from hurting people. Okay? Be careful taking advice from hurting people. Now, sometimes hurting people who are walking through the pain can help us. But the truth of the matter is, those people are few and far between. Most people are not that spiritually mature to be able to do that. And so when people are hurting themselves, typically they aren't going to give us good, solid, sound advice. The very first person that offered advice to Job was Job's wife. In Job chapter 2, verse, verses 8 through 10, it says this, Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery, and he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, You talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and, and never anything bad? So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. Now you need to understand, Job's wife, she was experiencing all of the pain and all of the suffering that Job was apart from the physical torment. She was not going through physical torment. She was watching her husband go through physical torment. And so we do need to cut Mrs. Job a little slack. She saw all of her children die. She saw her husband lose everything. And now she was watching her husband in immense pain and agony. And in a moment of weakness, she looked at Job and said, why don't you just curse God and go ahead and die? Now, praise God Job didn't listen to his wife. If he would have, they would have never had the joy of having ten more children. If he would have, they would have never had that privilege of growing old together like they did. Job, praise God, was mature. And he was able to bring some sense back to his wife. But here's the thing. We need to be careful listening to people who are hurting, people who are grieving, because hurt people say hurtful things. By the way, listen. Listen. When you were going through that day, if you're married... It is so important that you as a couple maintain your spiritual maturity together. Do you hear me? It's so important that you maintain your spiritual depth together. It's so important that you maintain your spiritual intimacy together. Because it is so difficult. I can't imagine what Job was going through here. He was in the fight for his life. And yet the one he loved most was saying, go ahead and curse God. Go ahead and die. Instead of getting good sound advice and counsel, his wife was telling him to, to die. Someone said it this way, a man feels most helpless when his helpmate helps not. Sometimes those who are closest to us aren't 
holding our hand and cheering us on and picking us up and urging us to keep going. Sometimes those closest to us are whispering in our ears and even yelling in our ears to curse God and die. That's why it's so important for us as husbands and wives to to pray together, to study God's word together, to worship together. Because hear me, when the trials of life come, and they will, it's going to be so much easier if you're able to face them on the same page. So be careful taking advice from hurting people. Second, be careful taking advice from those who have all the answers. In Job chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Eliphaz the Temanite said this. He said, will you be patient and let me say a word? For who could keep from speaking out? I mean, Job had just poured out his heart, and, and now here's Eliphaz saying, okay, it's my turn. Let me speak. Can you imagine the heartless way that came across? In chapter 8, Bildad the Shuhite replied to Job. Listen to what he said. How long will you go on like this? You sound like a blustering wind. Does, does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? Your children must have sinned against him. So their punishment was well deserved. What? I'm, I'm, I'm wondering how in the world did Bildad make it off that ash heap alive? Can you imagine the gall, the arrogance, the spiritual stupidity of this self-righteous man who in a moment of grief is trying to convince Job that Job's children deserved the death that they experienced? Job chapter 12 verse 2, Job says this, you people really know everything, don't you? When you die, wisdom's going to die with you. You know, there's some people that think they have all the answers, don't they? So when we're hurting and when we're in pain, they just, they've read a John Piper book. And they want to tell us about why God did what God did. Keep your book to yourself. I would encourage you to read the Bible instead. People who think they have all the answers, stay away from them. And then third, be careful taking advice from those who have a special word from God. In chapter 4, Eliphaz has this vision. And in verse 12 it says this, This truth was given to me in secret as though whispered in my ear. It came to me in a disturbing vision at night when people are in a deep sleep. Fear gripped me and my bones trembled. A spirit swept past my face and my hair stood on end. The spirit stopped, but I couldn't see its shape. There was a form before my eyes. In the silence, I heard a voice say, Can a mortal man be innocent before God? Can anyone be pure before the Creator? And so now Eliphaz has this word that's given to him in a vision. And so what does he do? 
He feels compelled to share that word with Job. Job, obviously you've sinned because this is what God told me. And may I tell you, God didn't tell him that. In chapter 42, God is angry with these three men because their counsel was wrong. You see, all too often, we think that we've got to get this word in. And so we tell people why this is happening. Stay away. Don't go to their house. Don't call them. You're going to do more harm than good. What you need to do is you need to come into their life, show up. You need to sit down with them and shed tears with them, real tears. And you need to shut up and listen. If they want to talk, let them talk. If they want to cry, let them cry. If they want to sit there in silence, sit there in silence with them. And when it's all said and done, and they're coming out on the other side of their grief, they're going to look back at you, the one who showed up, the one who cried with them, the one who, who didn't try to offer advice but just was there. And they're going to thank God for you. Because that's what we all need. And that's what we need to be as a church family. We don't need to be a church family that has all the answers. No one does. By the way, Job was never given the answers. The book ends and Job isn't given the answers. So if Job isn't given the answers by God, why do you think you need to give someone else the answers? You don't. You just need to be there. And cry. And hug. And care. And if you do, when that day comes, and it will come, your friends are going to make it. And if you have friends who do this for you, when that day comes to you, you're going to make it. That's what we need. I want you to bow your head. So thankful for friends. True friends. Who stepped in and just sat with me the darkest day of my life. But I got to be honest. I am more thankful for the Holy Spirit because as a follower of Jesus, God's Spirit lives in me and He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. 
from the moment we found our Josh. He was there. And even as I'm standing up here this morning, he's here. He never leaves us. Never turns his back on us. Never forsakes us. I gotta be honest, I don't know how anybody, I don't know how anybody makes it through life without the indwelling Spirit of God. So if you're here, and you don't know what it is to have God's Spirit living in you, you've never humbled yourself to Jesus, acknowledging your sin, asking Him to forgive you, trusting Him to save you. You've never just surrendered all to Him. Then I want to encourage you today, just let go. Just let go. Let God have His way in your life. That's what you need to do. You can pray this prayer. Dear God, I humbly come to you this morning asking you to forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And you're that Savior. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on the cross to pay for all my sins. Today, I'm trusting you to save me. Today, I'm giving my life to you. Come in, take control, fill me with your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me.